It's Monday the 19th of October 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. Uh, in a special on-the-road edition this week, uh, we are joined by Katrin Ortsdottir, the chairman of the Constitutional Reform Society in Iceland, who's talking to us about the demands for a new constitution for the country. But first, we start with Dr. Maur Kristjansson, head of the Infectious Diseases Department at Landsbytari National University Hospital. Okay, um, back in the spring, we were meeting here, socially distanced, at the back of the, hus- at the, back of the hospital every Monday uh, for a while there. And um, at, on the one hand, it's lovely to see you again. Uh, on the other hand, not so much, because it means we're not in a great position anymore, are we? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, like you say, I mean, we, we had a surge in the number of cases in uh, ooh, um, late summer. Um, so um, we've, uh, currently we're at... Uh, about um, over 1,200 cases in Iceland, with, and uh, giving us uh, uh, the um, the rolling rate of about um, I think over 300 cases per 100,000 uh, right now. So we're ranking up with the uh, with, with the, the the nations in um, in Europe with the highest one of the highest rates in in 14-day incidents. And it's higher now than it was back then in the first peak isn't it yeah, absolutely absolutely so so we're uh, looking at more cases than we've had um, you know in the first uh, first wave so currently we've uh, we've exceeded that uh, some days ago uh, which is uh, concerning obviously and uh, but uh, we're working hard to try to you know um, reduce the numbers um, it's hard as you say is it is it surprising when we were talking back in March, did you think that the the next wave, the big peak in the autumn, would be bigger still than the first one? No, I, I didn't really think so. I, I mean, we were hoping at the time that uh, we, we'd somehow be able to uh, bring this to a closure, uh, and and maybe reflecting on the uh, uh, on the first uh, SARS coronavirus that was um, going um, in the uh, in. What was it now? Two thousand and three, or uh, or you know about that. <clears throat> and uh, at at that time, it sort of went away. Now it's been it's been a while since uh, all hopes of that were have gone. And uh, so so coming back to your question, I mean, um, the, the nature of this wave is totally different from the first one, where we had the introduction of uh, certain people coming from abroad into the uh, into the into the society now <clears throat> it seems that the the virus has spread to all strata of our society and uh, and, and and all age brackets mm-hmm. so it's 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 sort of lurking there uh, anywhere in the society and and that that uh, changes the nature of the uh, epi- the epidemic and it's for sure going to be bigger uh, than the first one, as as it's been proven, obviously. But f- uh, how big it's going to be is not for me to tell. But but my, my guess is that it's going to be, you know, much bigger than the first one. Are you encouraged by the data from the last, say, two or three, maybe four days? Absolutely. I, I think there there are indicators that uh, that uh, this is coming 
um, not to a closure, but but to a sort of a, a mitigate uh, or uh, what, what do you say is a smaller phase. Um, so, so so it's the number of people in isolation um, that that are um, which is rising. That's always a, a good sign, and there are some uh, laboratory data to indicate that we are seeing uh, fewer and fewer cases being diagnosed. Um, the nature of the of this wave of the infection being so different is there any any speculation as to that could be that the virus itself has changed or is it just societal? Well, that's a that's a good question, and uh, people are obviously hoping that that's the case. But uh, and and there are several indicators that you, you might think that that's the case. Now, but but uh, um, one is that is the uh, is the number of people coming to uh, the intensive care unit and going on respirators. We're seeing much fewer cases this time around than the, the previous one. You have to bear in mind, though, that uh, the beginning of this uh, phase we had much lower uh, average uh, age um, than in the previous one. So that's that's, uh, and we know for sure that the younger you are, the better you tolerate it. Now, this is now changing so that the age is steadily creeping up. Uh, so, so that's one thing that you have to take into this equation. But, but it still doesn't explain why we're having fewer cases uh, going onto the respirator, um, and and maybe that's an indicator. But but we don't have really any kind of um, you know robust data to support that it is milder. Because in the cases that you see uh, in the intensive care, they are for sure as um, harsh and as uh, significant as, as previously. But they're fewer. What are some of the things that uh, you, as the medical profession, have learned since the spring to, to, that, that's helping you now? Well, um, I mean, Let's take a step back. I mean, th this virus has been known to us since uh, January um, of this year, so it's less than it's less than ten months, really, since we were able to um, find out exactly what it was made of. Now, since then, there is in excess of seventy thousand peer-reviewed uh, med uh, publications in medical journals worldwide. There are currently. Um, Somewhere between 150 and uh, 200 uh, products um, being tested for uh, vaccination, vaccination candidates, and there are over 60 uh, products that are being tested in in clinical trials uh, for therapeutic uh, for, for therapy. Mm. <clears throat> so we have learned a lot, but but still, our knowledge is is in its infancy. Um, now, uh, one of the medications we were using was hydro, uh, plaquenil in, in the be beginning of the year. <clears throat> Since now it's been sort of whistled off the pitch, if you will, uh, because it's, it's, it's been shown in, 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 in con controlled trials that it's not working. Now, we have uh, two medications that we are using here. One is called favipiravir, which is a Japanese uh, influenza medication. That was uh, uh, that was sort of produced in Japan uh, in preparation for pandemic uh, influenza, and it, it's it's been shown to have some effect in um, against SARS coronavirus too. 
The other medication is remdesivir, which is an, um, a medication that was um, uh, produced to, to fight off Ebola. Mm. And, uh, and, th and that seems to be having some effect. Uh, and this is supported by some clinical data. Now, there are studies out there which are, which were, which are pending and, and we're um, hoping that they're going to give us more robust sort of ground to stand on. And then we have the uh, um, anti-inflammatory medication called uh, dexamethasone, which is, uh, helps with uh, alleviating uh, inflammation in the lungs. So th there is uh, obviously some knowledge about um, supportive therapy, a specific therapy, and, uh, and uh, obviously uh, healthcare systems around the globe have learned to uh, sort of adapt to uh, the needs of this or to the needs of the people in this epidemic. So taken together, I think uh, we've learned a lot, but, but we have still a, a far way to go. Mm -hmm. And how about the day-to-day -day life at Landspitali Hospital itself? Because back in the spring, mm -hmm. you were on absolute crisis footing because yeah. you just didn't know what to expect. Right. Are things a little more relaxed now? I think, uh, I think uh, things are a little bit more relaxed. Uh, we're not... Um, uh, we're not uh, utilizing as much uh, resources in in terms of the uh, the ward spaces. We've we've adapted two uh, two two wards for the COVID patient, and then obviously the the intensive care units on both sides are involved. Mm. However, this puts strain on the number of people that we have because caring for the COVID patient is more taxing in the sense that you have. To you need more manpower because uh, <clears throat> uh, working inside uh, uh, with all the, the protective gear that you need is really uh, taxing in terms of your just your physical health. You sweat a lot, and you need to be um, you need to uh, rehydrate yourself. So that's quite taxing. So so our greatest strains are, are because of uh, manpower issues, not so much the. The space within the hospital mm -hmm. so it's different from, mm -hmm. from and what about the rest of the country it's been very much focused on the capital region this time around yeah. um, is that changing or are we seem to be containing it here so to speak well I I, I mean the, the the biggest part of the outbreak has been around the, the capital area uh, with some pockets here and there in the countryside um, and it it's but but I think with the, the traffic of people uh, around the country, I, I think it's inevitable that it's, it's, we're, we're still going to see some pockets here and there. Now, uh, I mean, the, uh, the the state epidemiologist he has stipulated to to have people not move so much around the country, but but it's um, I think it's inevitable that that people do have to move, mm. but uh, not at the same rate as before. So hopefully that's going to sort of slow down the the. the possible spread to the countryside mm -hmm. and what do you think uh, for the future first of all the first the next like two weeks for example and then how things might be looking by Christmas let's say well uh, like like we said I mean I, I think the, uh, the this wave has sort of uh, it, it's stalling I, I, I think that's safe to say now how long that's gonna last is is anybody's guess but, but hopefully that we as, as individuals in our society have learned that um, uh, maintaining individual, uh, you know, um, hygiene, uh, social distancing 
and then with the 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 uh, with the 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 measures that we can have in terms of contact tracing mm -hmm. and then eventually therapy I, I think we're gonna hopefully keep this at bay but I don't think we're gonna get rid of it in, in total not until we, we see uh, um, the uh, effectiveness of vaccines and um, there are suggestions that we're gonna see some data by the end of uh, November maybe December and hopefully hopefully sometimes next year we're gonna be seeing uh, massive uh, vaccinations but that's that's a, a big hope mm. hope and hopefully <laughs> still well Krishnan, keep up the good work and thank you for your time today oh thank you thank you um thank you for meeting me today you are chair of the constitutional reform society uh, how long have you been in that position? Uh, I think for about five years, maybe six, something like that. But before that, I also was uh, a member of the Constitutional Council mm -hmm. back in 2011 that wrote the new constitution for Iceland, which still hasn't been ratified. Mm -hmm. um, five or six years, kind of quiet. Now suddenly it's all anyone's talking about. Why is that happening now? It's really hard to know. It's sometimes in the theory, it's it's uh, something that people would describe as a constitutional moment that nations have from time and time, <coughs> time to time. And in Iceland, of course, now we have COVID like the rest of the world, but also we have uh, this new new constitution just on ice for about eight years since the referendum 2012 mm. and just to sort of recap the referendum uh, was it whether people wanted the new constitution to be the basis for the constitution of Iceland and two-thirds of the voters that showed up in that referendum said yes so the parliament is the only one who could change the constitution but it hasn't done so yet and that's why we're stuck and I think we just managed to make a new sort of a momentum around it many things have sort of played together uh, civil disobedience like painting of the walls um, a lot of articles being written a lot of ads uh, made uh, from young people who have suddenly gathered a lot of interest among their peers in the issue so i think it's like a accumulation of all those things and maybe also the fact that the prime minister is currently trying to uh, make changes to few articles in the old constitution or add new ones so it all plays together and and now we're just uh, finally finally mm -hmm. seeing this becoming the big matter in the social debate that it always should be because this is the biggest thing you know, the, the, the social contract itself. What led to <clears throat> the drafting of a new constitution in the first place? And then, how is it possible to have a referendum that gets ignored for eight years? Excellent question. Uh, first of all, um, I would think that the economic crash of 2008 was the defining factor which led to the new constitution being written. But what happened was sort of miraculous because we, we after the the you know the pots and pan revolution and the big riots and the and the elections and all that it was a very very heated uh, uh, times for Icelandic uh, history uh, we had a prime minister called Johanna Sigurðardóttir which uh, who said and she had been fighting for a new constitution for a long time and she said okay this is the moment where we'll try to write a new one but the beauty of it wasn't just that uh, decision but rather the way it was written so this has been described in other places uh, as the first crowdsourced constitution because we allowed the people to uh, just see the draft each week we put it online and then we 
started off with this big <coughs> national meeting where 1,000 people were randomly selected and they got to identify the values which should be the values for the new constitution. And then we had elections where 25 people were elected to write it. I was one of them. And then we, the 25, decided to open it up completely, allowing people to send us proposals and also participate in the development of the document. So we put the draft online each week and then we got lots of comments from people saying, okay, I liked it better last week. Why don't you add animal welfare? Why don't you, you know, so it was a, it was a sort of a co-creation uh, of the citizens of Iceland. And, that's, and then it uh, sort of yielded the impossibly great result that every one of the con Constitutional Council agreed upon it. So 25 people agreed upon this one. Uh, which was a miracle, you know, you don't find two people agreeing on what to barbecue for the evening in Iceland, you know, so this is a good thing. Uh, and in the end, uh, Parliament didn't really know what to do with it. There was a lot of criticism, especially from the specialist uh, sort of uh, society in Iceland, where a lot of people raised their concern and, and sort of maybe in some way tried to um, stop this constitution from becoming the constitution of Iceland. So the Parliament went slow and in the end they decided to do the referendum just to try to to stop the filibustering and what was going on inside the parliament. But that did not work out. And even though the people had spoken, we still now, eight years later, don't have the new constitution. And I think, I mean, if you talk to people that are not from Iceland about this, sometimes they're just scratching their heads. They're like, what do you mean? Ignoring the referendum. It sounds like uh, you're living in a, in a very undemocratic and undeveloped society, if you tell me this. But Iceland is a bit peculiar, you know, and uh, I think we are just uh, like a teenager when it comes to our democracy. We haven't been independent for that long. Mm. And even though we uh, have had the same constitution for the whole time, which was always supposed to be preliminary, not the many, we still just haven't mastered to finish what we've started. But I think the moment is coming closer, you know, we're, we're getting closer to the end of this. And I think more and more people are realizing that we can't go on like this. I mean, this is ridiculous. So people can still you know, join and sign the petition if they want. It's going to be until the midnight of 19th October. So uh, if you go to nistjortnaskraut.is, you can see it. And it's also available in English and Polish and Spanish and French there. So uh, I think uh, what we have to do now is we're almost at 40,000 signatures, which is huge compared to Iceland's voting populations. Which is about double what you were hoping for, isn't it? Yeah, we were hoping for 25,000, because if we got that, uh, we would have been able to say, listen, in the new constitution, we have a clause that says that 10% of the voters can put forth new legislation. 25,000 people is 10% of the electorate, therefore you are blocking our rights as the nation to actually have the constitution we want to choose. So we have proven that point and a lot more <laughs> and we still have time to go. So, I mean, uh, I think each uh, signature is a miracle at this point now because we never ever dared to hope for so high participation because all those uh, signatures are from people who are 18 or older and they have actually had to use uh, electrical uh, type of identification to actually log in. So these are not just like Donald Duck and stuff like you sometimes see on the on the online petitions where people are putting their names many times or people who don't want to be there are there. You can't do that in this one. This is solid. Mm -hmm. um, it seems uh, obviously a crowdsourced constitution is by its very nature quite a popular idea. Um, what are the key elements of opposition to it? Why? Why are people pushing back against you? 
One of the problem here in Iceland is the interests, you know, like one of the clauses in the new constitution speaks about the natural resources and it should uh, being the property of the nation and the nation getting full price for the usage of it. And today we have a system where, for example, our fisheries are owned by few families and they benefit mostly from all the, all the benefit of this. Meanwhile, we have a, a health system and a road system and a, a lot of other systems that are lacking in funds. And this is grossly unfair. We need to change this. But the people who currently hold these uh, uh, powers don't think that's a great idea, obviously. So, and also you have to remember that every system rejects change. That's why it is a system, you know. So it's maybe also a matter of actually uh, a sort of a conservative streak inside the system. Even the parliament uh, sort of resists uh, the, the update it needs as a functioning uh, uh, sort of heart of our democracy. Mm -hmm. And I think what the parliament is slowly now realizing, and we had to sort of educate it about, is that the people are hold the constituted power, not the parliament. The parliament certainly has the legislative power, but the people, they are the foundations of all official power in Iceland. And if the voters have decided in a national referendum that Iceland should get a particular constitution or a constitution that is based on that, there is no way that parliament will block that. In the end, we will find a way to make it happen, just like water will find a way through a wall or whatever if it's, if it's dripping. So it's a matter of time, but some of us are getting a little bit impatient and feel we're being ignored. So we will just keep raising our voice in every way possible until this is done. What are a few, you mentioned uh, natural resources, what are a few other improvements um, that the new constitution holds in your opinion? Mm -hmm. Good question. I think firstly uh, what is important about it, it, it actually moves our system towards what it actually is. The current constitution we have is, like I said, an old Danish uh, monarch constitution. So it has ridiculous clauses in it which could prove dangerous for our democracy. For example, the president according to our current constitution, holds loads of power, like putting legislation, giving people the right to be excluded from legislation, giving people the right to be excluded from, from even from uh, court cases and so on. So it's, it's sort of uh, remains from the Danish kingdom. And we need to fix that. So the new constitution, first and foremost, puts uh, Iceland into the modern times. But what it changes, there are so many things. First of all, I would like to mention protection of nature which of course is the biggest uh, issue that all humankind has to face now. And, and wasn't really on the, on the table at all back then? It, yeah, it was, it was in a way, but not really. And it has never been a part of the Icelandic constitution. And I think the Icelandic public has, has moved generations ahead of the legislature in regards to what can be done here in regards to our nature. I mean, we are seeing years and years where, where very large and very polluting companies have overridden the will of people. Uh, and thousands of people have been protesting without any way of actually getting their claims heard. And if we had the new constitution, firstly, we would have a very strong not, uh, protection of nature where nature itself actually holds the right. The rights of nature are, are explicitly written inside the constitution. And therefore we're trying to pull them away from this sort of human-centric emphasis where we can do whatever we want just because it suits our, 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 our financial interest. And these, these thoughts are based on, uh, on South American uh, 
legislation such as uh, Ecuadorian and, and Peru Peruvian, but also it has even votes, so it doesn't no longer people in the countryside will have like more power to vote people in parliament than those who are living in the Reykjavik area. It also has uh, the chance of allowing people to vote people, not only parties. It has a, a hugely updated human rights chapters where, where especially social and economic rights are, are and, uh, enforced. It also has um, transparency clauses where you say, okay, uh, we want our administration to be transparent so we can actually understand what's going on because a lot of the uh, corruption in Iceland, and let's face it, there is corruption in Iceland, uh, is actually due to the fact that we have this sort of tendency to, tendency to secrecy in our administration. So it's very hard for the media to actually keep a watch on what's going on because the tendency is always to say, no, you can't have access to this document or you can't see what's going on here. We will not tell you what we decided, you know. This has to be changed and the new constitution does that. Uh, also, of course, the natural resources are a huge thing. Um, there is uh, also this direct democracy possibilities where 10% of the population can call for a disputed legislation from parliament to be put into a referendum or actually 10% of the voters can also put legislation forth in parliament. So this means that we don't have to go begging to our president when the parliament is being a little bit crazy and, and legislating against the public will. But it doesn't implement like a, a Swiss-style direct democracy. It's, it's a middle ground. Would it remove the president's right to veto and no. to call a referendum? No, that's still in there. So uh, we, we wanted to keep both because uh, in the in the clauses where people can actually ask for a referendum, there are exclusions that are they cannot ask for that if it's a, a international obligation or something like that. But we decided to keep the president also inside the picture because some of the weird occasions that can come up can call for him to also or her to have powers to give this last word to the nation. So we didn't want to exclude the possibility that at some point that would also be helpful. Mm -hmm. But I think the current president we have has said many, on many occasions that this constitution we now have has to be updated. I mean, he doesn't have a clue what his job description is because it's so unclear, because he's obviously not a Danish king. He's an Icelandic modern person <laughs> that happens to be the president. Uh, just finally, what happens now? What's the process from here on in to get this through, if it goes to your according to plan? Our plan is just to keep the pressure, really, because we are not the legislator. We are we are people in the in the grassroots fighting for something that we think is fair. Uh, we will deliver the signatures that we get on the 20th of October uh, to the parliament. And this is the eighth year anniversary of the referendum. So we will remind them of that, that for eight years, the democratic will of Icelanders has been ignored. And then we will just keep fighting. We don't have many tools to actually put our will into motion. But I think people are now being forced to listen to us because we're so many. And because the, the claims we're making are very fair and democratic. And the Prime Minister is talking about this quite a lot now. Um, do you feel that she's more or less on your side or is she, she's obviously split? Yeah, she's, she's trying to do what she thinks is best, to be fair. Uh, but I think she's slowly realizing that this uh, political unity she was trying to create among uh, around certain constitutional changes to the current constitution is not working out, simply because she wanted to do this in harmony with all the other political parties on 
in Parliament, and now it has uh, surfaced that she's going to put it forth as a parliamentarian herself. So there's absolutely no unity or political union around these changes. This is a, a desperate attempt to get something done, but in my opinion, some of the changes that she is suggesting are actually worse than no changes, because, for example, they have their own natural resources uh, article that they're that they're putting forth, and it doesn't claim that people should get the nation should get full price for the for the resources, the uses of resources. It doesn't claim uh, that it should be completely. Uh, I, I forget the word. It just isn't strong enough. It's like uh, you take the version from the new constitution and you drag the teeth out, and you say, "Here you go. This is a natural resources clause. Now you can stop asking for this." Uh, like we're the children and she's the mother. It doesn't work like that. The power is with the people. And she should be working for us in the in the line of the referendum, of course. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, there we have it. That's it for another week. Uh, my thanks to my guests today, Dr. Mao Christianson and Katrin Oddsdottir. The Week in Iceland will return to roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app and your favourite podcast provider next Monday, the 26th of October. We end today's show with a song called Color Decay by Junius Mayvant. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.